Hello, I'm Matt Carpenter, and this is the Good Life Podcast. Hello, we are glad today to have Father Lyle Dorset with us on the Good Life Podcast. Uh, he is a, an Anglican clergyman. He is a retired professor. Uh, and notably today, we're going to talk about one of his major the major influences on his life which is uh, C.S. Lewis someone who everyone in our congregation is very familiar with in his fiction as well as his nonfiction but hopefully today we will introduce an element to Professor Lewis that is not as commonly known uh, about his spiritual direction so Father Dorset, thank you for for c- coming and being with us today well, I'm happy to do it. Happy to do so. So, l- let's start with this. I know, and we'll post on. I'll, I'll post on the the, the podcast notes uh, uh, introduction to some to your own conversion. But what role did C.S. Lewis play in your conversion? Well, I had. Uh, I was an agnostic never was an atheist, never said I didn't believe there was any God. I just didn't know who God was, didn't think much about it. Uh, I got married. My wife, uh, two years after we were married, uh, really met the Lord personally and was transformed by Him. And she kept praying for me and quietly witnessing. And But I kept watching her, and I knew she was handling life a lot better than I was. Around the same time that that had happened, I was I was a history professor at this time at uh, the University of Denver. I was teaching American history, and I had a student named Lauren Fister. And uh, Lauren was one of the brightest students I had, and I had a lot of really good students, but Lauren was unusually. And uh, <clears throat> one day uh, he waited for me after class, and he said. Uh, Dr. Dorset, he said, may I ask you a question? I said, of course, ask me anything. He said, uh, you, I thought I heard you say in your lecture today that thoughtful people are not Christians. Um, I said, well, Lauren, I want you to understand me clearly. I, I said, I mean, not just thoughtful people, but people who have really thought through history and philosophy and things like that, who've done more than pay at lip service, but have really been very careful to uh, to uh, listen to the past, listen to people and study. And I said, I, uh, I, if I heard you correctly, you, uh, I, you are arguing that very intelligent people can be Christians. And I just said, if somebody's really reflective and thoughtful, they probably not going to be a Christian. They're not going to be in a God they can't see and have no evidence for. And he said, well, thank you, sir. I wanted to make sure that I had that right, uh, that I understood you correctly. And uh, anyway, uh, Lauren uh, and I began to talk more and more. Uh, he, he had very little money. He was a, he was a student who worked two or three jobs. But uh, he wanted to buy my lunch one day. He gave me a book. And... Uh, gave me a book by C.S. Lewis, I mean by uh, G.K. Chesterton, and he said, uh, 
I, you know, I just want to challenge you to get into the writings of C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton. He said, because they have a Christian worldview. They're both very intelligent men. And uh, he said, I just think that if you got into uh, Lewis and you got into uh, G.K. Chesterton, that you would find that, uh, you know, your point of view isn't uh, maybe quite, quite as accurate as you think it is. Right. And uh, I so respected him that uh, I didn't argue. I just, uh, I just listened. And then he gave me a copy, and he didn't have any money, but he bought me a copy of G.K. Chesterton's Orthodoxy. And he wrote in it, he said to to my my favorite professor, Lyle Dorset, with the hope and prayer that someday he will embrace orthodoxy. And then underneath his name, he had what looked like a croquet wicket with little spikes coming off the top and then an arrow sticking out. And then there was a cross over on the other side. And I said, Warren, what's all this doodling? He said, oh, I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> he said, uh, Said the, uh, he said that what looks like a croquet wicket to you is the grave they put our Lord Jesus in. Jesus was murdered. He was killed. He was put in a grave. And three days later, he walked right out of there. And I sort of rolled my eyes and said, oh, Lord, I'm sorry I asked. And he said, no, no, I'm glad you did. And uh, he, said, uh, he said, I just want you to know that he said, I'm praying for you, and I'm praying that you will meet the Lord because he is alive. Anyway, I respected him so much that I didn't put him down. I didn't even write him off. I just thought, you know, I don't know. But anyway, he kept praying for me. I know he did. And uh, he uh, gave me another book by Chesterton. He encouraged me to read C.S. Lewis. He said, you really owe it to yourself to read these guys. He said, and... Uh, I did start reading Lewis, and I started reading Chesterton, and uh, he was right. It began to shake the scaffolding I was on of agnosticism. Mm. I was never an atheist. I never said I didn't believe there was any God. I just said, I don't, I don't know him. I don't know how you can know him. But uh, that's what he did. Well, anyway, long story short, uh, I surrendered my life to Christ, and how that happened is another issue. But I... I surrendered to Christ, and then once I began to get my life together and began to think, I thought, C.S. Lewis has had a great impact on me. I want to know more about him. And there was quite a bit written about Lewis, but it was always uh, dissecting books that he wrote and studying his theology and his point of view. But what I didn't see was any, even a couple of biographies had come out, didn't do much to tell me how he went. You know, they tell you about his conversion, but they didn't tell you how he went from conversion, from new birth, to being really filled with Christ's spirit and being a very contagious. That just doesn't happen automatically. Right. Uh, it, you know, people don't, they're born again, but they're like a newborn baby. They've got to grow. They need to be fed, and they need to grow up into maturity. And I wanted to know how Lewis was formed from his conversion to the profound faith he had that was manifested in his books and has 
on so many lives. My wife and I interviewed 50 or 60 people that knew Lewis that were either related to him or knew him. We got to know his stepson well. Anyway, and we, we did oral history interviews with these people, and I realized Lewis had an unusually powerful impact, and I want to know how he grew to this kind of maturity. So I just, since I couldn't find anybody written anything on it, I thought I'm just going to write a book about it. <laughs> do research and write a book, and that became the book that is entitled Seeking the Secret Place, The Spiritual Formation of C.S. Lewis. And the title comes from Lewis himself talked about every morning he went into the secret place just to be alone with God. And, uh, and how he, uh, what I discovered was here was a man who read the scriptures, read the scriptures thoroughly, had uh, several Bibles of his own. We got to see them in his library. We managed to acquire his library for Wheaton College some years later. Uh, anyway, going through all of that, uh, and then finding that he, uh, that Lewis, uh, Lewis not only read the Bible carefully, and he, he was very, very committed to understanding the scriptures, but he also had longings uh, for other things. Other things began to shape him besides the scripture. And I, I want to underscore that scripture was the most important thing in shaping him. That it's, it's imperative that I make that clear because uh, that, that's just, uh, that's the basic line of it. But the same, next to uh, reading scripture, Lewis, uh, in fact, in one of his letters, he made this statement. He said, prayer is a sustained and regular habit for me. Uh, Anyway, Lewis, uh, Lewis prayed, he, he, he spent time, he understood that prayer life included praise, and he spent time praising God in his daily prayers, just hmm. praising the Lord. And you know, the scriptures make it very clear that God is enthroned in the praises of Israel. God yes. indwells the praises of his chosen people. Well, anyway, uh, Lewis not only time praising people. He prayed for a lot of lost people. His books became so popular that he'd get letters. He'd get stacks of letters, dozens and dozens of letters every week. And he said that one morning in prayer, he knew the Lord was saying to him, answer all your fan mail. Mm. And he said, I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to do it because <laughs> it's so expensive. Right. But he began to do it. What he didn't know is that people that received his letters, I mean, scores of people that received his letters, saved them. And they've been collected into Marion E. Weed's Wade Center at Wheaton College. My wife and I did a lot of collecting of these letters. And what happened is Lewis, people would write to him and ask about, uh, you know, how do you become truly a follower of Christ? Or, you know, tell me about the Holy Spirit. How do I understand this? How do I understand that? And he would take time to very carefully answer these people's questions. And because these, he had no idea. In fact, he even said one time, if God didn't give me all these letters to answer, I could write more books. <laughs> he had no idea that a lot of what he was 
answering these letters would be saved and published and he would reach so many people. So he did not... Beautiful lesson of be obedient because you don't know what God's doing. That's right. So he was doing this in faith. He was, he was answering these people in faith with no, with no clue that it would have any lasting impact beyond just this, you know, each individual to whom he was writing. Exactly, exactly. When he'd write letters, he'd say sometimes people were seekers. They, didn't, they weren't believers, they were seekers. Uh, in one of his uh, prayers that he jotted down, he'd written out, he said, God grant me to say things helpful to salvation. Mm. Use what I say and what I write on souls. And, of course, God answered that prayer. God put that prayer on his heart, and God answered that prayer. Um, that That's a, a very important piece of thing. But besides prayer, uh, reading Scripture, reading it carefully, and by the way, he read Greek. He could read Greek so he could read the original language. He did not read Hebrew, but the woman that he married eventually, Helen Joy Davidman, did read Hebrew, and she helped him out on a lot of things. Um, <laughs> but uh, he says uh, that uh, anyway, he said a lot of the letters came, and it was clear that people were admiring him greatly. And he said, uh, he said at one point to one of his friends, he said, I want them to know Jesus and follow him, not me. And uh, that's why I want to be very careful when I wrote a biography of him, a spiritual biography, that he wouldn't be celebrated and lifted up to the point of people not wanting to worship Christ. Because there's no way to understand Lewis's impact, what he wrote, what he said, what he did after his conversion. Nothing can express that other than to say it was the Spirit working in him and nudging him. Well, I know that his his friend J.R. Tolkien once said that he wrote that Tolkien wrote his work from the leaf mold of his mind. Yeah. And from what I hear from you, the the leaf mold of C.S. Lewis's mind was. The, the foundation was scripture itself. That's right. That's right. Not just and, and and I love. I mean, I'm a pastor. I love theology books and books on philosophy and 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 history. You know, those are great. But the core of what he of his formation was a a, a heavy and steady diet of scripture and prayer. And That's right. So, for for many, there is today, and I'm sure you encountered this in your time uh, serving as a clergyman. There is a push against what we would call personal devotion. Uh, you know, the, the, those acts of piety of reading scripture and prayer, because people say it's legalistic. Yeah, it's yeah. it's you know it's it's putting burdens on people that they can't bear, and we should not expect that. But if we want to become people of 
of God. I mean, truly people who are submissive and who walk in the Spirit or who keep in step with the Spirit, then we would follow Professor Lewis's example. That's right. He's, he's a great, he, he's a good signpost for us. Um, no, Lewis read scripture. He prayed. Uh, he certainly, uh, he interceded for people. He prayed for the salvation of various people. Every now and then, uh, my wife and I would find a letter he would write, and he said, our prayers have been answered, and there'd be somebody in New Zealand or somebody in the United States that he'd been praying for would come to Christ, somebody that had been writing to him, and then they'd write and written a letter and said they'd finally surrendered to Jesus, and he'd be so excited about that, you know, our wow. prayers have been answered, and uh, no, he did that, he was he was uh, he, he was a brilliant man, he was a genius, but he had a very simple faith he trusted Jesus Christ. He knew Jesus Christ's spirit was alive and was with him and would guide him and teach him. Mm. And he was humble enough to embrace that. Uh, I also ought to mention that uh, besides scripture and his own prayer life, he uh, was greatly influenced by George MacDonald. Yes. Uh, I won't be get into all that, but MacDonald helped uh, helped him, as he said at one point, baptize his imagination. Yes, I believe uh, Fantasties, uh, yes. MacDonald's work, Fantasties, and that's in Surprise by Joy, isn't it? No, oh. Fantasties, no. No, no. Oh, I mean, but but Lewis wrote about that experience in, in, in when he, he was oh, reading yes. Fantasties. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. You're right. Right, and so, well, and that brings up an, uh, an interesting point. You know, he talks a lot in Surprised by Joy about that feeling of longing that yes. he has. Could you talk a little bit about that? And, and, and what is longing as the way that Lewis describes it? And how is that a part of, of many people's uh, experience in life? Well, Lewis would say... You know, just paraphrasing him because he said it in so many ways, writing, speaking, and so forth. But he said, all human beings have a longing, a longing for the Lord. We have deep inside, we have longing. We try to fill this longing with other things. You know, I personally tried to fill it with alcohol for many years. Hmm. Uh, other people by uh, eating. They become, you know, they abuse food in the same way some abuse alcohol. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, there's this longing for something more, knowing that there's, I'm not getting all of it. I missed something here. I mean, when I married my wife, I was, I, I had a longing for a woman like her, and she was a great wife, still is a great wife and a mother, but there was a, a longing be, beyond that that I needed, and she helped point me to Jesus Christ and said, you're never going to find peace till you surrender to him because you long for him, and you, you don't understand that, you don't admit it, and uh, 
That's true of everybody. We're made. We have an empty spot that only the Holy Spirit can fill. We have an empty spot in our soul. Only the Spirit can fill it. Mm. So, with this, he also, though, had a a strong place in his thinking and in his formation for the church. I mean, he was... He was himself a, a faithful member of the church. So, 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 what role did the church play in his formation as a Christian? Well, I think, uh, frankly, he uh, he went to church in, in outside of Oxford, uh, where he lived, and he thought the pastor was a terrible preacher. He didn't think he was a particularly anointed man. He was very candid about that to a handful of good friends and and some of the things he wrote. Uh, But yet he felt that he was called to be there because we are called into community. When we become Christians, we're grafted into the church. And he felt that, you know, whether you like the pastor's tone of voice or whether you think he's a great preacher or not, you're called to be in the church. You're called to be grafted into the body of Christ. And uh, he w- he was insistent on that. He uh, he thought that his pastor was a boring preacher. He he didn't think very highly of him. He would have been terribly embarrassed to know that people learned what he thought. So many did. But the thing is, he kept going to church. He went to church. He didn't wander around. He went to the church that was. As a good Anglican, he went to the church that was, you know, in, his, in the parish where he lived, so to speak. And he felt that, you know, that's the kind of thing Catholics have done, and, and good Anglicans have done that. So he wasn't always shopping around trying to find a better church. Um, but because he, he was called to be in that church, to be prayed for, to pray for others, and to receive the sacraments. He had a high view of sacraments. He wanted that blessed sacrament because he believed that it was more than a memorial service. He believed that, uh, you know, when Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body, he meant it. <laughs> right. Uh, so anyway, though, I'm carrying on too much. But no, no. You know, this is, it's helpful for me. Well, for one thing, uh, I'll stop and back up to say, when I was I was reading through his letters, a while back, and I came across one of those letters to his brother, uh, Warney, about the sermon when he when he was describing the sermon that the, the that the priest had given that day, and and it was not a very flattering description. And I, I thought to myself, I'm quite glad to not have the pressure of being the pastor to C.S. Lewis or <laughs> to someone like that because. Yeah. I mean, of course, now he's, I'm sure, pr- probably even bigger today than he was in his own time when he was alive. But still, right. that, that right. would be intimidating. But his, the description that, you're, that, that you've given and that you give in your book, which I, I recommend very highly, uh, just a, a, a wonderful book that, that gives a, a, a strong and, and one, lovely summary of Lewis's perspective and the way that he grew, but he he comes across as a much more evangelical 
in the you know the lowercase evangelical, and by that I just mean one who has a strong belief in the importance of the new birth, while he, you know he appreciates and 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 desires the sacraments, he knows that that it's you know that the Spirit is working in the hearts of the people, and that you know just is much more down to earth, I guess, in a sense, than than the picture some might get if you only read, you know, some of his more heady nonfiction, you know, say The Weight of Glory, and then especially, you know, his, his work on, on medieval cosmology and, and stuff like that. You could get the idea that he's just you know, a, a typical, very intellectual, uh, maybe Anglo-Catholic type if if you don't read much about his own you know of, of his words but the description that you give he is it comes across as much more approachable like someone who you could actually have a conversation with and be edified even if you were not a student at oxford that's right no you're you're quite right and uh, you know, lewis was a man a very learned man but he also could communicate well with students and lay people. He communicated well if, if, you, if you've read uh, Seeking the Secret Place with his taxi driver, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, who had probably not even a high school level education, but, but Lewis was kind to him. They interacted. Lewis wasn't condescending to him. Uh, uh, anyway, it's no Lewis. Lewis gave his life to Jesus Christ, and he, unlike a lot of Anglicans, uh, a lot of sacramental Christians, sacramental theologians and Christians, he was also very evangelical, and by that I mean he, you know, he believed people needed a rebirth. He knew that they needed to feed on Scripture, and uh, some of the higher church Anglicans found him too, uh, too evangelistic. And that was just a terrible thing to be, was to be evangelistic. Well, Lewis couldn't help himself. The spirit was in him, and the spirit would witness through him. Plus, the scriptures tell us to, to right. make disciples. And yes. So, uh, but again, Lewis refused to be shaped by a denomination. He stayed in the Anglican Church. He didn't agree with everything in it. But uh, he... Uh, I don't think he could have been comfortable being a Baptist because he had he was a sacramentalist. Right. And uh, he couldn't have been a Methodist because some Methodists are sacramentalists, a lot of them aren't. And uh, so he would have had, you know, he ended up where he was and he knew that uh, not everybody in the parish church uh, would have been an enjoyable person to have lunch with or spend an evening with, but he also knew not everybody would enjoy him either. Right, so, right. He, he was, uh, God used him mightily, and there was with, despite all of his education and his brilliant mind, he was a humble man. Ooh. And nobody is close to Jesus who doesn't get humble. That is right. That, 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 and, and that, that's a, I think the more I read of him, and, and by that I mean especially in his letters, 
he he makes me long for the day and, and and expectant and hopeful of the day when I can meet him in the new creation and and, and actually talk because if if I admit it I, I I know that that you know in the resurrection that we will all be like Christ and and that our rough edges will be hewn down but there there are certain people who I know will be there that I'm not quite as interested in going to early on (laughs) but he he is one he just exudes warmth not just charisma but warmth in his writing which is you know something that I really appreciate so one of the things that I've heard you mention, and I don't remember which which lecture it was, but but you talked about uh, his the way that he would help people who were dealing with doubt. You know, th- th- there are some who believe that once you are a Christian, that that you should not struggle with doubt anymore. But but Lewis understood. C.S. Lewis understood that we struggle with doubt. So, what are some ways that he talk to people or that, that he, he encouraged people in his letters who were dealing with doubt? You know, I don't recall any specific letters. Uh, maybe you can find some in the book quoted, but, you know, Lewis himself wrestled with doubt now and then. Right. And, and he was honest enough to say that. And uh, I think, frankly, one of the uh, weakest dimensions evangelicalism is people don't want to admit that they have doubts. Right. Um, I mean, for goodness sakes, I, I'm an ordained clergyman. I've been a Christian for a lot of years now, but I will admit there are times when I'm wondering, God, are you really there? Um, God, where are you? I don't sense your presence at all. I beg you to let me know you're near me. I remember when our 10-year-old daughter got sick one night and died the next morning, and I, mm. uh, I, I was so confident that when our daughter got sick, that when we took her to the hospital, her pediatrician wouldn't see her for hours, and that's why she died. She didn't need to die. She had meningitis. She could have been cured, but they waited too long to. Mm. But that's another story. But the point is, uh, you know, I wrestled with that. God, why would you let this happen? You know, that's the only sure. daughter we've got. Why did you? And my wife couldn't have any more children. We had a son and we had this daughter. She died. And uh, God, why would you allow this to happen? I don't understand you. Uh, and I remember my dad and I praying, you know, we, we pray with faith. And we prayed and prayed out in the hallway at the hospital. Well, she died anyway. And uh, you know, you gotta say, "Hey, God, help me just understand. I'm not in charge." <laughs> you know, right. You, uh, and then I, you know, I say, "Well, why does why does the Scripture suggest that if we pray with faith, we'll get what we want?" Well, that's what the Scripture says, but it doesn't always happen that way. And uh, so, uh, these are. These are things that I, what I like about Lewis and I like about other people, 
some other people is the honesty to say, I don't understand. There seem so many evangelicals have a need to have all the answers. Right. I think the sacramentalists have more of a tendency to live with live with things that they don't understand. You know, there's mystery here. There's things I don't get. You know, it's like thinking that bread and wine actually is transformed into blood and flesh. Uh, you know, if you're a sacramentalist, you believe at least spiritually it's been transformed. But when I was uh, in an independent church, it was originally ordained in an independent church, I, I didn't buy into that stuff, you know. <laughs> right. I, you know, I, I, what it boiled down to is I was in a camp of evangelicals, and this is not all evangelicals by any means, but, you know, where uh, we've got to be able to figure it out. It can be explained. Mystery gets set aside. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I'm personally more comfortable saying there's a bunch of mystery out here. Sure. <laughs> But there was a season in my life when I wasn't comfortable with that, and frankly, I'm glad I had that season because it makes me a little kinder to people that have a different view of these things than I do right now. And that's okay, you know. God's made us all different. I don't remember who it was that I heard say this, but uh, recently I was listening or, or to or reading somewhere where a, a man said, one of the marks of maturity is learning to be okay with ambiguity. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, I've heard that, uh, and I agree with that 100%. It's not that we compromise in our convictions. You know, we're not talking about things like the triune nature of God. You know, that, that, that's not what we're saying. But the things like what you were talking about, you know, why does some, when you pray for some people, and even those in your case, I mean, your, your only daughter, and you pray, and you're praying earnestly and in faith, and, and the Lord not answer the prayer the way that you desire, and in other cases it happens, and, you know, all the way down to, to, the, to the things that, that are not quite as close, we, we don't, we just don't know. And it's hard. That's right. And, you know, so I I am grateful, I know in my own life, for people who have come alongside to me and, and, and when I would when I was struggling and they would look at look me in the eye and say, I don't know either. I don't know why this is the way it is. But I'll tell you this God is good. And he loves you, and I love you, and I'm going to walk with you. And I did not know it at the time, but that is some of the best pastoral advice that I've received and that I can give people at times. Amen. So, well, this, is, this has been very encouraging to hear and and so your your book is entitled uh, "Seeking the Secret Place," and and I know you also have several other uh, really good 
works on, on other men. You, you have one on D.L. Moody and one on A.W. Tozer. Is that correct? Yeah. I wrote a biography of A.W. Tozer. I edited a couple of volumes of some of his writing. Uh, I, I wrote a biography of, uh, uh, you know, I, I wrote a bi- Tozer. Tozer's writings had a profound impact on me. Hmm. So I got interested in him and couldn't find a good biography, so I thought, well, I'll just write one. I like your style there. When you, yeah. when you look for a biography that you can't and you just can't find it, you just write your own. That that is, that's a gift that I I wish I, I was able to pursue myself because I, I I I like that that perspective that that attitude. So, in 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 closing the the conversation, what would you say is the best biography of C.S. Lewis? Um, you know, I, I'm I'm not sure. I I think probably if I had to boil it down to one, it would be George Sayer. Okay. Uh, he knew Lewis personally. He was a humble man. Um, uh, I don't, and I want to be careful how I say this. I don't always trust what Walter Hooper has written. Hmm. Okay. Um, I think that uh, he was always well. Jack told me this, or Jack told me that. I, you know, I that may be true. I don't know, but I don't think he had a very brief time with Lewis, and Lewis wasn't even very well during that brief period of time. And I know Warney Lewis, Jack C.S. Lewis's brother, said at one point he said after. Uh, said after Jack dies and he said after I'm gone Walter Hooper's gonna, going to say how well he knew us and he's going to tell us he's going to tell all kinds of, in other words he's not going to be honest Right. he's going to create stuff and, and say Jack said this Jack said that and uh, he, he just uh, and I, I think that probably was true but mm. I so, you know, I don't know. So George Sayer is, is a good one, and probably I know in my own experience, I was not impressed at all by A. N. Wilson's biography. Terrible, terrible book. Yes, <laughs> you, yeah, you said I, it better I, than I could. <laughs> and, and he's he's not honest either about stuff. I, I anyway, it's a long story short. Sure. I spent, spent a number of hours with him talking. Right. So, and he, but I, I don't trust his work. So, but 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 the one by Sayer is good, and of course, you know, Lewis's own works uh, in Surprised by Joy, when he talks about his, his earlier uh, experience, is is valuable. And so, and, and and I would again point people to to your book on Lewis as well. So. I really appreciate this, and and thank you for taking time to meet with us today. Well, I'm very glad to have met you via the phone and email and everything. And uh, Matt, I just, uh, let me say a prayer for you.